superhero movies lately, and I love them. I have a great time with those movies. This summer, there's been Superman, uh, there's been X-Men, there's been Spider-Man, there's been been others. Recently in the past, Batman made a big splash for a while. Uh, I think these movies are great. And I think, uh, I think our culture, like the, uh, everybody around us, is in this place to really embrace this idea of these superheroes for a particular reason. And I think it has everything to do with our text today. Now, one of my favorites recently um, is Superman. He, there's a new movie that came out. I think it was last summer. It came out a year ago. And Superman is the man of... No, you're wrong. Sorry, I tricked you. Because he is, right? He's the man of steel. But actually, in that movie, if you saw it, Superman is the man of hope. Right? Do you remember this? He t- he, they kind of push it a little bit. It's, it's, you know, it's going a little far. But he says, the, the symbol on my chest is a, it's in a different language, and it means hope. But it's really what Superman has always stood for, right? He's always stood for hope. They just made it more overt in this latest movie. Superman, um, track with me on this one. Superman is not from our planet. He's from away, but he comes as a baby and lives among us, right? Yet, he's not one of us. He has the power, these special powers, to defeat all of the enemies of humanity. Really interesting. It's even better when you know that Superman, the character, was created by two Jewish boys. Really good. That's great. Superman is the man of hope. He's got the power to deliver us. He's one of us, but he's not one of us, right? He, he lives among us, and we can't tell him from it because he puts on the glasses. We can't tell him from anybody else. He's, uh, he's Clark Kent, but he's really Superman. And he's got all this power. And so I think that, this, that these superhero movies are coming up on this one side, and on the other side, our culture is having this conversation in movies and art and literature about this one question. How do we be human without hope? You see, for the last hundred or so years, there's uh, the intellectual, uh, you know, kind of the higher level intellectual debates have been trickling down to where we're interacting with, with them more on a personal level now. And it's these, inter, uh, these intellectual debates, uh, you know, by Freud, Nietzsche, Darwin, these guys who basically said, uh, you know, all of life is, is a mistake. Um, humans are a bundle of, of just a bundle of mess. We're coming, we come from nothing and we're going to nothing. There is no greater purpose. You know, they're, they're, they say boldly look into oblivion because there's nothing here but your life and what you choose to make of it. And there have been, there, there are books and movies and art, um, re- Pertaining to this, we are humans, and we really, there's not been another time in all of the history of humanity that anyone has attempted to live as human beings without hope. And so we're really struggling with this. So there's, um, so that's why I think, I think superheroes come in and people, uh, it's like this great relief. Like, oh, I can indulge this thing that's totally fake, and everybody knows that I can still maintain my intellectual integrity while enjoying this totally fake thing, that, uh, these superheroes that really actually feed a part of my humanity that is desperately starving, and that is hope. Hope. That's what our passage is about today. It's about hope. The, the ancient Christian hope. Paul's visit uh, to Thessalonica, just a little setup. up, um, 
we've been preaching through Thessalonians uh, for this summer. We'll continue into Second Thessalonians uh, through the rest of the summer. But Paul's Paul's visit to Thessalonica was cut short. And he had to leave. There was persecution. Paul had to had to run out. And so this part of the letter, he's kind of, he's backfilling. He's saying, "Oh, there's some stuff I forgot to tell you, uh, or didn't have a chance to tell you." And he tells them about um, about their future, about where they are going, about what happens after believers die. Now, do you think does that spring to mind when you think of like the four or five major important things that you would have to tell somebody if they were to become a Christian, they were start to follow Jesus? Does, does telling them what happens after they die, does that really spring to mind immediately as part of their, their growth? It doesn't naturally for me, but I think, I think it should. I think that's what we'll see in this passage. Um, secondly, the, the, uh, the Thessalonians were asking this question probably because there was some persecution going on then that's alluded to in the letter it's likely that some of these young believers from this young church have been martyred, have been killed for their faith. And they're wondering, Paul, you never told us about this. What's going to happen to them? If Jesus comes back, uh, when Jesus comes back, they're dead. They're in the grave. Do they get to be part of his new kingdom? Do they get to be part of, 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 of solving every problem and fixing every hurt? What's going to happen? So that's kind of the question that prompts Paul saying this. And lastly, before we get in, I'm going to say the word hope a lot today, and I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul means by hope or what, I'm, what I say when I'm, what I mean when I say it. Uh, we often think hope as, is equivalent to wish. Um, I hope that I get a good job after I finish college. I hope that I become a movie star one day. Um, these kind of things, we, we wish them. But what Paul actually means is something much more akin. Uh, he means something that is that is. Um, that is a grounded reality in the future. It is absolutely coming to pass so that your present can depend upon it. And so it would actually be much more like this meaning. When I grow up, I will look like my parents. So take a good hard look at your parents. Guys, look at your dad's gut. It's coming. It's going to be there one day. You need to start acting now for that grounded future reality. Okay, hope is a, is a future that is so certain and grounded that you can base your behavior on it now. My dad is actually here today. Sorry, Dad. Your gut is looking fine. <laughs> Paul starts out this part of the letter by saying, "I don't want you to grieve as those who grieve with no hope." Um, so, how, what does it mean to grieve without hope? What does it mean? I said that, uh, that 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 question is a major question in our culture right now. What does it mean to be human without hope? And there's a there's a book and a movie that's recently come out that uh, that is really all about this question. And yes, two weeks in a row I'm referencing this book. I promise the last time in a while, but I just finished it. It's called The Fault in Our Stars, and it's really this a book about dying and about losing uh, about love and loss in the midst of these, uh, the underlying assumptions that there is no God, there is no purpose, there's nothing greater than me and my experience. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I'm going to tell you part of the, kind of the, 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 uh, the grand ending of this book. Do you want to hear it? Life will destroy you emotionally and physically. It's unavoidable. 
There will be immense pain all through life, and then you die. The best you can do is choose some of the ways that you suffer and with what kind of character you suffer those things. So choose bravely. Choose how you suffer bravely. I want to say this. It's a compelling book. It is a massively enjoyable book. Uh, you know, tearjerker, uh, absolutely. There's, the characters are wonderful. You, you love these characters by the end of the book. You love them by the first few chapters. I'm just really sad that this great writer decided to write these wonderful characters, this moving story with this undergirding assumption that there is nothing that you're going to. You come from nothing, you go, from, you go to nothing. So face your sufferings with bravery. That is awful. That's, that's terrible. That's garbage. My greatest fear in the world, not a real fear, like somebody I love dying or something. My greatest fear in the world, like pretend fear. You know, you have these that you, you just start imagining. My greatest fear in the world is to be put on a boat, driven out into the middle of the ocean where there's no land anywhere, like nowhere there's their land, and dropped into the ocean above the deepest abyss possible and left. And like they just go, the boat's gone. Do you know it could come up from underneath me? Like anything. I could be swallowed by a whale so gigantic it didn't even know it swallowed me. I could be eaten by fish with razor sharp teeth that are so tiny they can't really even get a mouth on. They just nibble at me until I die. I could be let nothing could happen, which may even be worse. And I could sit there and like float in salt water, terrified for, I don't know, could you last days? Maybe you could. That would be terrible. That is the setting that this book gives you. You come from nothing. You go to nothing. It is all suffering. So face it bravely. Should I? That's, That's awful. That's garbage. I don't want to sit in the ocean and face that bravely. There's nothing to that. The best you can do is face it bravely. That is grief without hope. That is what Paul is countering here. He's also countering the the common belief in his day, which is carried into ours. um, And and it's this, uh, that Paul was writing to a colony, uh, Thessalonica, that was majorly influenced by Greek ideas. Okay, And then the Greek idea of what happened when you died um, is this. The, the soul, the self, is contained in this prison called the body. And, it's, and it has to exist in this physical world that is, uh, that is, that is merely suffering and punishment uh, and a few fleeting pleasures. When you die, the soul gets to escape. And it gets to leave behind this disgusting body in this awful world and escape to a non-physical afterlife where uh, in that non-physical afterlife, those who have done good get to be rewarded and those who have done bad are punished. Does that sound strangely like what many of us claim is, is, is our Christian belief? Paul is saying that is no hope. There's no hope in that. See, to Paul, that is, that is a half hope. That's an early ending. 
It's a half hope. It'd be like if you got the greatest data plan in the world and it always worked and you had like the like rapid downloads, but all you had to use it on was a Zach Morris cancer phone, like one of those big old bricks. Like it, that doesn't that doesn't give me anything. That's great, okay, maybe, but that doesn't give me anything, right? That's not a hope. That's not something you can use. It sounds a lot, uh, way too much like what, what many of us think of when we think of a Christian afterlife. But it may be that you and I, maybe this is something uncovered in your faith. I, I, it has been for me recently. I sure hope it is for you. Maybe this hope thing is so much bigger than you imagine, and there's so much more power here, and you've just been living like with a limp in your Christian life because there's this whole other thing you didn't even know about. And it's called true ancient Christian hope. So what is this hope? Paul says this, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Paul anchors this whole hope, this whole Christian hope, this whole future, this, this certain future, he anchors it in the past death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, to understand that briefly, we're going to have to understand the uh, the setting that Paul is thinking from. He's he uses the old uh, the Old Testament is his Bible, right? And when and when the Old Testament talks about the 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 ancient hope of God's people, it calls it the day of the Lord. It says the day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is a day of reckoning and renewal. The day of the Lord is judgment for evil and and recreation and solving all problems and fixing all bad things. Uh, That's the day of the Lord. And it includes this, the resurrection of the righteous, God reigning fully as king over all he has created, and the gift of the Spirit. That's supposed to happen at the end of all time when God remakes everything, the end of this age. But here in Jesus, we have this strange occurrence where that day of the Lord happened in the middle of history. Where the righteous one, Jesus, was raised bodily from the grave. And now he is reigning. Paul calls him the Lord. That's the title for king. That's what they called Caesar. He is the Lord. Jesus is the rightful King of all creation. And the Spirit has been given to all of God's children. The Spirit has been poured out. There's this thing that happened in the past. The day began to happen back then. And that's what gives Paul confidence to say, because uh, because God raised Jesus from the dead, He will one day raise those who are in Christ, who belong to Him, who have put their faith in Him. That's Paul's rootedness. Does that make sense? So we are going to be raised. But in what way? We read this passage, and and it seems clear. On first reading, um, you, you hear this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the dead in Christ will raise first. After that, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
That sounds strangely like this Greek idea of the soul escaping this bad world and being caught up to live in clouds and, and, and play harps. Doesn't it? It sounds like that's what Paul is saying. That is tediously boring. No interest in that. What he is saying, we have to come at it from, from a first century point of view because the, the, uh, the language that Paul is using here, the arrival of the Lord, the coming out to meet Him, that is language of an emperor visiting his colony. He calls Jesus the Lord. The Lord will come and then the welcoming party will come out to greet Him. And does the emperor stay out of the city in tents? Or, or, no. The emperor then comes into the city and sets everything to rights and fixes all wrongs and punishes the evil. That's the picture that Paul is drawing for us here. It's, it's supposed to conjure in our mind. Not an escape from this world. Not an escape from this world, but a fixing of it. We're not going to be raptured. We're not going to be raptured. My brother, um, my younger brother, Johnny, uh, said one time we were, we were talking about Christianity and, and, and this and that. I can't even remember what, where the conversation was going, but he said, at one point, this, he said, I don't know, man. It just doesn't seem very appealing to me. It's kind of like, well, is Jesus back yet? Like, no, that's not appealing at all. If Christianity is just waiting for Jesus to come and rescue, out of, rescue us out of this evil place, then it is just waiting and drudgery and all of life is just patience and there's nothing to do here but wait. And those who have died have gone ahead to this better place and they've reached the fulfillment of their existence and you just have to wait to go be with them. But that's not what Paul is saying. If Jesus is coming back here, to set all things right. If he's going to be, if he is the Lord who's going to one day finally and fully claim his creation and fix it all, then we've got work to do here. It makes the now a lot different. It makes grief a lot different. Those whom you love are not in their final state. They're in life after death, but there's life after life after death. That's what this is about. You see, the, the ancient Christian hope to do with this this appearing of the Lord is this, that those who die are separated temporarily from their bodies and their bodies go to rest in the grave as in sleep. And their soul, their self, their, um, not not the part that Jesus loves, right? It's not just this, he, he likes this little bit of us and he's going to take and save that. He likes all of us. He likes us. He likes all of us and wants to save all of us. So just... A part of us, our soul, goes to be with Jesus until he returns. And at that point, he will resurrect our bodies to be like his glorious body and reunite our bodies and souls as he fixes the whole world. That's a very different hope. That is the ancient Christian hope. And all of this leads to good grief. It leads to good grief. Paul doesn't spend much time on this, so I'm not going to. But, um, but it's important to, to recognize that Paul doesn't say, don't grieve. He just wants us to grieve as people with hope. So as, we're talking, as he talks about people dying, he doesn't say, ignore it. They're coming back. You don't even have to worry about it. Get a, you know, put on a Pollyanna face and go on with life. That would be in direct contradiction to how Jesus handled death. At the tomb of his friend Lazarus, 
Jesus shows up, and two different times in that passage it says Jesus wept. That phrase could also be translated that he quaked with rage. That Jesus hates death. He doesn't just love our souls and want to rescue them out. He hates the death of our bodies. Death is not his design. And he wept. And it is okay to be to weep. It is okay um, to be mostly undone by the death of someone you love or by any suffering, by suffering in this world. But that death, that grief has to be massaged with hope. We have to season it um, and massage hope into that grief. And this hope takes this form partially the worst this world can do to us is make us wait. You realize that's what this means? That Jesus, never, nothing is ever undone. That's why, as believers, we don't, we don't say that so-and-so passed away. I realize that's kind of common language in our, you know, for, for a gentle way to say somebody died and You don't need to feel guilty if you said that. That's actually a pagan idea. We don't pass away. Passing away means they're gone. They've been absorbed into the universal consciousness. They are no more. We don't do that. We don't pass away. We go to be with Jesus and we wait for Him to come back. If that's true, if Jesus never lets anything go undone or uncompleted, then the worst that can happen to you here is that you have to wait. Yes, waiting is hard. It is difficult. It's not always fun. But that is the absolute worst that this world can dish out to you. Is waiting until Jesus comes and fixes it all. If life is sad now, if, if, things are, if circumstances are difficult, and they will be, and they always will be, it's not all they are, but, but it is part of life all the time. We get to believe, we get to remember, we get to have this anchored future that tells us that if it's sad now, it just means the story's not done yet. If we don't like what life looks like, it just means that this isn't the end. Because in the end, it's all fixed. God will bring a full rescue. You don't have to sit in your sufferings and say the only thing I can do is be courageous in this suffering and maybe choose some of the pain that I get to endure. You get to say this isn't the end of the story and one day it will be fixed and let that feed courage into your, into your suffering. Let that feed courage into your faith, into your, your grief. And lastly, Paul says as, as, as the culmination of this, that we will be caught up together with them, that is, our departed loved ones, our dead loved ones, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. It is just fine to long for that day when you get to, when you get to be reunited. That is a great comfort that Paul is offering when we get to be reunited with the people that we love. But he says also that we will get to be with the Lord. That we will get to be with the Lord. 
He doesn't have fear for us. He's got His presence. There's a great show that, uh, that my wife and I watch. And it's one of those rare shows that's not a compromise for either of us. But we both really like it. It's called The Call of the Midwife. And, uh, and it's, on, it's a PBS show. It's, a BB, it's uh, from the BBC, which, you know, it's British. So, of course, it's really, really good. Um, I don't know how they're doing it, uh, but I like it. Um, so we, wa- we, we watched this show. It's, about, it's set in uh, post-World War II London in the East End, a very poor area of London. And, and um, the show centers around these nurses and nuns who are nurses in the community. And they, uh, they obviously help deliver babies, their midwives. Um, but they also, you know, just provide typical nursing help, medical help to this community. And in, uh, in one episode that we were watching recently, there's a man who's come back recently from battle recently from war, and he's suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, and essentially what this means is that anything, uh, any, any loud noise, he jumps. Anything that happens unexpectedly, he can't handle it. He, he, is, he, uh, he is essentially a puddle of fear because he doesn't know. He's seen so much death and destruction, he can't reconcile that with life now. He doesn't know um, how, uh, yeah, he, he just doesn't, he doesn't have any security. He's t- completely undone by his experience in war. And particularly um, with blood. When he sees blood, he, he loses all touch with, uh, with, with the moment and, and is completely out of touch with reality and, and cowers in a corner. And the nurses have great compassion on him because his wife is, is pregnant. She's, she's getting ready to, um, to give birth. And the nurses, in a, in a moment of inf- inspiration, say... Um, have this idea that they're going to actually invite him to be part of the birth of his child so that he can be with his wife and be strong for her through that difficult ordeal and come out the other side and they believe that it will be very healing for him and for his family. And of course, this is, a, you know, this is in the 50s or whatever. And so uh, fathers were not part of the birth thing. Uh, I was telling this story at the last service and, and uh, one of the older gentlemen was like, huh? Because I guess he didn't, he wasn't part of that. But it's a little more common now for you young men. You'll be part of it. Uh, you don't really get a choice anymore. Um, <laughs> but he's there, right? And so, so he's got, he's suffering from this post-traumatic PTSD. This, and he's a puddle of fear in every element of his life. And he goes into this, this birth. His wife is in labor. The nurses are there. And he, and he does wonderfully. He's, he's, he's great through the whole thing. He's strong for his wife. He's, uh, he supports her through the labor. And then now comes the part where the baby will actually emerge. And as you know, um, blood will be involved in this, in this moment. And so the nurses start looking at each other nervously. They're not sure what's going to happen. But as the baby comes out and the father catches his new daughter... He does just fine, and he holds her close. And as he holds her, the nurse whispers in his ear, this is good blood, Alan. This is blood that heals. And that is what you and I have in Jesus Christ. We have blood that heals. We don't need to fear our blood being spilled or the blood of our friends being spilled. We have a blood that heals, a blood that gives hope, a blood that gives us certainty of what is coming in the future and power to live for today and to grieve well. Let's pray. Holy Father.
We thank You that You have given us Your Word, that You haven't left us to grieve on our own, that we aren't um, just mistakes coming from nothing and going to nothing, but we belong body and soul to our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that we will be resurrected with Him. And we await that day. We ask that You would give us power to face the sadnesses of this world now. Hope that we wouldn't be defeated by death um, or any other suffering. We pray these things that You would be glorified in us as we cling to You in hope. Amen.